that. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to me to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to be wrapping up uh, our, our series on, or the, our study on Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you've not been with us, uh, let me kind of give you just a very brief cliff note version. The book of Romans was written by uh, the, a man named Paul, an apostle named Paul. Uh, it was written to a group of believers in the Roman church. Uh, it deals with a lot of different issues. It's very theological in nature through the first 11 chapters. And the reason for this was that you had uh, these Roman or these, these Gentile Christians and these Jewish Christians, and they're trying to come together in the church. And there's, you know, the Jews are coming from a history of having some rules and, and, and cleansings and washings and all these different things. And now there's been this, this the, the, the gospel has been proclaimed and Christ has died as a sacrifice for our sin and ushered in this new covenant. And so you've got these two worlds that are, you know, where they, all they know is, is Jesus and you've got the other side that is familiar with the law. And so they're coming together. And so Paul's trying to unify them in this letter to be of one mind, of one heart, and to, and to believe in one gospel. So that's the theological nature, the what we believe, why we believe it type of thing. And then in chapter 12, Paul begins to shift gears a little bit to how it looks in our lives. So more of an application type of it. And he begins in, in verses one and two by talking about you know being transformed and, and, and to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That, and, and we do this in light of God's mercies. And, this, and, and so our transformation is the proper response to the work that God has done on our behalf on the cross, but what he continues to do in us as believers. And so he encourages us to be transformed. And then he kind of dives into what this transformation begins to look like a little bit when he says, listen, when you are transformed, when, when God has had worked in you, uh, he gifts you spiritually, he gives you ability spiritually to be able to do some things. And so as a body, and so he's saying, you know, as this church, and it's, it's as true for us today as it was for this church in Rome that, that Paul is sending this letter to, we knew it need to acknowledge the gifts and talents of the, of the, others in the church, honor those gifts and talents, and understand that we are one body. Uh, we are to Collectively, we are individually members together, and so we are dependent on one another. That there, that there's this interconnectedness to the church. And some of you are here, and we're fortunate enough to have some families here that are multiple generations, where we've got three and four generations all attending the same church. That's a beautiful thing. But what, what connects the church is something much deeper than that family connection, that we are connected and unified under the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So what we are as a church family uh, should be, uh, you know, it's different and deeper than, than, than sometimes what we are just as, you know, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, moms and dads, husbands and wives, that it is something beautiful that God has knit together. And I appreciated Melissa's prayer. Like, it's not by accident. We didn't wake up one morning and decide, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna try this first Rebel Baptist church out. And you're here because God brought you here. And his sovereignty and providence uh, connected you with people that were connected to this church or maybe led you by this church. You don't ever drive down Van Buren, but maybe you did. And you thought, you know, I'm gonna stop in here. But you're here for a reason. And it's because God wants you to be a part of the body of Christ and you have gifts and you have talents and abilities that he has gifted you with through the Holy Spirit. 
that you could be active in the church. And so it's one of those things like you know, our, our core beliefs, gather, grow, give, and part of that give aspect of, is giving of ourselves in service to the Lord and exercising those gifts and doing what God has called us to do. And then he gets into these, what, what my Bible has kind of characterized as these true marks of a Christian. These are things, uh, uh, you know, the, the Jesus has told us that a tree is known by its fruit. That a tree is known by its fruit. And so an apple tree bears apples. A, 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 uh, you know, a banana tree, coconut, whatever, you take your pick, whatever tree it is, that's the kind of fruit that it bears. And so he says there are some, some fruit that as believers we are to bear. And so we spent last week talking about some of these internal things, some of these things that are more, you know, they're, they're internal, they, they, they work on the inside, or they've got to be attitudes that, are, 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 that begin on the inside. And he said, so let love be genuine. And we spent a couple of weeks talking about this idea of genuine love. If you weren't here for that, go and read 1 Corinthians. And don't read it from the standpoint of, of, of marriage. Read it from the standpoint that it is just an expose on love. That's all it is. What it looks for me to love my brothers in Christ, what it looks for me to love my wife, what it just looks like for me to love people. And so you, we, we talked about let love be genuine and, and some other characteristics. He goes on, he says, uh, you know, hold, abhor what is evil, uh, hold fast to what is good. He says again, as if we haven't got it already, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So he's saying, don't be, don't be lazy, but, 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 but be, you know, be, be fervent in spirit. Let your souls be set on fire, but what should they be set on fire for? They ought to be set on fire for, for the Lord, for serving him. And then he goes on and he says, uh, rejoice in pope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Today, we're gonna wrap this thing up with verses 14 through 21. And so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, let's read this passage, we'll pray, and then we'll come back and kind of camp out in some areas a little bit more and explain this in a little bit more depth. Um, and so kind of what I want you to think about as we read this is you've got this internal stuff that that we just talked about in verses nine through 12 or nine through 13. But then these are gonna be what I would say a little bit more uh, external. Um, they are the way the spirit kind of works through us. Uh, and, and, and as he works on the inside, these are things that happen kind of on, uh, on the outside in our actions. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, not, do, uh, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. And not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's so good to be in your house today. Lord, to just be in the fellowship of believers, Lord, to just be able to walk around and shake hands and just visit for a few minutes and to sing together and, and lift our voices together. 
to be able to, to contribute to your kingdom through the offering, Lord, to be able to, to together just be able to study your word and to, to understand it better, to help us to, and, and, and for to, or we ask for your help in the application of it to our lives, that, Lord, it wouldn't just be empty words, that it wouldn't be, we've got to endure this to get to the road rally, but, God, that we would just, for a moment, just take a deep breath, acknowledge, Father, that we are in your presence. We have collectively come here together to worship you. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to honor you with our attention, with our focus. And, God, that our hearts would be open and receptive to the word that you have for us this morning. Lord, every, every word that is written on the pages of our Bible is inspired by you. It was written, in some cases, to specific people, but, Lord, the timelessness, timelessness of it, it is every bit as applicable to us today as it was the day when a quill was put to a piece of parchment. So, Father, may it come to us in a different form in terms of our, or the way our Bibles look or maybe even those that are looking at it on their phone today. But, God, I pray that that word would come alive to us, that it would be alive and that it would be a powerful God, I pray if there's a, an area of our life where we need that, that it to convict us, Lord, that it would do that, that we would acknowledge our sin, that we would turn from it. Father, we desire to be clean vessels for you. That we not be marred down and, 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 and chained down and, and slowed down by the sin that so easily ensnares us. But God, we ask that you would help us to be set free. Free to do what you have created us to do. Free to be who you've created us to be in the image of, of, of yourself and of your son. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, that, that maybe even this morning, Lord, there might just be a spirit of revival that, that Father, the, 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 the fires of our souls would be stoked. That, Father, where they may have grown dim or maybe grown cold, Lord, that they would be reignited. And so, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just move in our midst this morning, that, they'd, that he would move in our lives. Lord, you know exactly what we need. You know the exact thing we need to hear. You know the words we need that need to be read. And so, Father, we ask and pray this morning, Lord, that you would do your thing. Do the thing only you can do in each one of our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Romans chapter 12, what a beautiful, what a beautiful book. I've, I've just, I have just loved um, the time spent in studying with this. Now, this idea of, of this, you know, this internal leading to some external or, or this idea even that internal matters, I, I think sometimes we can get caught up and there's a group of people in the Bible that were bad about this. They were called the Pharisees. And there were over and over again in the, in the gospels, we see Jesus kind of criticize these Pharisees because on the outside, they appeared to have everything together. They, they tried to follow the law with every I dotted and every T crossed. And, and, they, and so they did a really good job of that, but they weren't very good people. And so there were times that Jesus would make a comment. He said, you know, you're tithing on your herbs and your spices, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, the, the kind of internal things. And, and even if you go back, Jesus sets this precedent that what is on the inside matters all the way back when he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But he says, I tell you, if you hate internal, if you hate somebody, you might as well have killed them. It's the same thing. He says, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But he says, I tell you, if you lust after someone, 
It's the same thing. So what's inside matters. But this internal action, this internal transformation that God desires to do in our lives, its intended purpose is to lead to some external things that bear witness to the work that God has done on the inside of us. So it's not just, let me say a prayer and repent of some sin, and then I'm good and I'm going to continue living life like I've always lived it and not worry about what people see. I'm just going to pray and I'm going to get things right on the inside and then I'm going to go about living life like I always have. The, the idea is that God transforms us on the inside, which leads to external transformation on the outside. Like there's something fundamentally that changes about us so much on the inside that now we can't help but to be different on the outside. And sometimes it's, it's things like the language that we use. At one point, you know, maybe we, we uh, curse like a sailor and now all of a sudden we realize, well, that just doesn't, it just doesn't sound very good. And, 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 or maybe some actions. These are things that we did, but now we understand the Bible tells us not to do those things. And so because of what God has done in my heart, I'm gonna change some of these things on the external to fall more in line to what God's word says. Because I'll remind us this morning God is not only our Savior, but when we receive him as our Savior, we acknowledge him as our Lord. And so it's no longer us who gets to determine what's right or wrong or what is sin and not sin, but we fall under the purview of what God's word says to us. While we're kind of on that topic, I would encourage you to, you know, though the Bible is not black and white in all areas of sin, not sin, as a Christian, we ought to err on the side of caution. So if it's one of those things, let me put it this way. The rich young ruler asked this question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If we're not careful, sometimes we fall into the lull of saying, what, how, how, you know, how little can I do and still be saved? Right? So instead of saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? We say, what's, what's the least amount I can do and still be saved? And that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about here on this gray areas of life. We say, well, how far, how close to the edge can we get without actually falling off? And so this whole idea, this concept, and why Paul begins to go from this theological, this intellectual salvation and, and all the things that we believe, why does he go from here to, to essentially from our head to our hands? Because there's a transformation that must take place in the hearts and lives of his children. It starts here and here, but it has to work itself out here. And so he gives us some of these things, what they look like. And of course, these internal things, the love, the honor, they are things that show up externally, but they're not things that we just say, well, what does it look like to show honor? And I'll show honor. But he's saying intrinsically, we need to understand that honor is a heart attitude. I can come over here and I can honor somebody with my actions, but I'm not honoring them with my heart and I'm not honoring them with my mind. I can still think bad things about a person and honor them in the sight of all, but I'm really not. So these are internal things that God says, listen, I want the attitudes to be the, the, the driver of the actions. And I want to so transform you on the inside that you love and honor people because that is what, how I've transformed you and that's what I desire from you. So you're doing it not only with your actions, but you're also doing it with your attitudes. It's your heart. And here to be the kicker, your heart is in the right place. We're not checking a box. We're not trying to do something. We are simply being who God has transformed us into who he desires for us to be. 
And so you get all those kind of things in the beginning, and then you get the external. And these are interesting because you, you get the impression that Paul is, is talking about specifically how you and I should respond when people mistreat us, right? So he says, if you, if you look how he begins, uh, bless those who persecute you. Now, persecution can take a, a wide range of, 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 of looks. Like right now, November is uh, pray for the persecuted church. And so we pray for the church. Now, no, I would argue that in, in the scale of what looks like persecution in closed countries and persecution in communist countries, what we, we would endure very little what we would consider persecution today. Like we are very fortunate as believers. However, there are times when we are basically, if we had to boil down persecution to what it means on a most basic level, it is just mistreatment because of our faith. That's what, what Paul's talking about here, that we are mistreated because of our faith. And so there may be times that we maybe mocked or ridiculed where you're gonna tell me that you're gonna pray about this, you know, or, 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 or yeah, I've heard about this Jesus guy and, you know, and, and then they just don't, they just don't wanna hear it. But he says, I want you to bless those who persecute you, bless them and not curse them. Now, what is our natural response? And this is where we get into this transformation. What is the natural response for us when we are mistreated? My natural response is, I'm gonna tell these people exactly what they need to hear and exactly how I feel, right? Like I want them to know that what they're doing is wrong and they shouldn't be doing that and and sometimes, man, I, if, if, it's, if it's bad enough, like you start contemplating, like, how can I get them back? I mean, I cut their brake lines or, you know, kidding, kidding. I might slash your tires. No. But, you know, you start thinking about this. You start thinking about, man, what can I do or, or how can I get them back? And it may be, maybe it's not even Christian. Maybe, maybe, maybe because of your faith, you, you paint yourself an easy target and so people think you're a doormat and they'll walk all over you. But there's all kinds of ways this persecution, but, our, but what Jesus says, he says, I don't want you to, to curse them. Instead, I want you to bless them. I want you to, I want you to continue to be kind to them. What does Jesus tell us? I think it's in, in, in Romans chapter, in the chapter one, I think it's in the chapter one. You know, the, the people are kind of taking advantage of the kindness of God. He says, don't you know that God's kindness was meant to lead you to repentance? That God's kindness wasn't meant for you to cast off his, his judgment and cast off your brokenness and cast off your sin and just keep doing it. He said, God's kindness, his long suffering, his patience toward you was meant to lead you to repentance. It's the same thing for us, that our kindness, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of mistreatment, that our kindness is intended to lead others to repentance. We're gonna see more about that in a minute, but let's keep reading. He says, uh, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, on the surface, I would say that rejoicing with those who rejoice are off, is often more difficult than weeping with those who weep. Why would that be? Because if we're not careful in our lives, it's, rejoicing is difficult for us for other people because if we're not careful, envy and jealousy begins to, to, to work its way into our heart and our life. Someone pulls up in a new truck. Boy, I'm happy for them, but on the inside, man, I may be a little jealous, a little envious. 
You know what I mean? Or, or a new house. But listen, God has blessed people. And so we're not looking at it. We're not counting God's blessings in the lives of other people and looking at mine and being like, well, you know, God's blessed Rick 15 times this month and I'm only five. Man, what am I doing wrong? You know, or what's, what's, what's Rick doing that I'm not doing? And we start, we're not keeping tabs. We're looking at God's blessings in the life of his church and we're rejoicing with those whom God has blessed. That's all we're doing. We are rejoicing. And again, it's that internal working itself out in the external that I can genuinely rejoice in the good fortunes and the blessings of God's people because if, if something good happens in your life, that's good for all of us, right? Like it is good to see God bless people. It's good to have that encouragement. It's bad to have the jealousy and the envy and to be controlled by that instead of being able to genuinely just rejoice for people when good things happen. To rejoice when God blesses them or when good favor finds them. Like it's good to do that. And so we ought to do that. And then the second half of that, so rejoice with those who rejoice. Let us genuinely be able to do that, but weep with those who weep. Like that one comes a little bit more naturally whenever we see somebody suffering or hurting or going through a difficult time. Because oftentimes we can, we can kind of empathize with that. We can kind of look for it's some similar situations in our life and, 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 and maybe get, maybe not the full, the full picture of it, but we can relate enough to be able to sympathize with them, right? Someone loses a, a loved one or, or, or is going through a difficult season of life or having some difficulties with their kids, like we can kind of empathize with that. And so we weep with those who weep. But there's something deeper here that, that God wants us to be a part of. You see, weeping, it may be the more natural thing, but we've got to understand is sometimes in that process of weeping and mourning alongside people, we so identify ourselves with, with, the, with what they're going through that we can't help but ourselves to be a part of the solution in their life. And so we've got to understand that when we weep with those who weep, there may be a time commitment on our end to come alongside those people and help them through the season that they're walking through. And it looks like that for different people, but we, we were talking Wednesday night about you know, just difficulties and things that we far, far, uh, find ourselves in sometimes. And someone made the comment, they said, you know, Satan does a really good job of isolating us in those moments where we're suffering, that we're the only ones experiencing or the only ones having gone through or thinking, or whatever the case may be. We're the only ones going through what we're going through. Nobody could possibly understand what I'm going through. And this person said, but the amazing thing is that there's somebody in this church who has gone through the exact same thing and they will understand completely. The circumstances may not be identical, but they'll have an idea. They'll know. And so it doesn't matter if today you're suffering with, with you know, your, maybe your struggle's sin, maybe it's some depression, maybe it's just some things that are going on in life and you think, man, you know, I've got myself into this, I'm gonna get myself out. You are completely missing the point of the church if, we, if that's kind of our mentality. I got myself in, I'll get myself out. That is why God has put us together because there's some other person in this church who has gone through what you're going through. The difficult part for us is, is to be vulnerable enough to just confess that we're struggling in some area of our life to let the right people know so that you can be put in connection with the person that really can walk, help you through this, this, this process. So sometimes the, 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 the impediment 
you know, it's, and Satan does a good job, man. He wants to isolate us and keep us separated. God says, listen, I've given you the church. I've given you my spirit. So let's use these things to help us in our daily walk. Let's keep reading. That was, so we rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Like that, that's this idea of, of, of philosophy, of purpose, of mutual love or respect. It carries also this idea of not, you know, again, as Paul has said several times through this chapter of not thinking of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, uh, of having that love and respect for one another, uh, that, and that there's not anybody who thinks that the rules don't apply to them. You know, that, that everything, if it's expected of other people, it's expected of me. If, if others expect me to do it, I ought to be able to expect. It's just that the, that, that the rules apply to us all. And none of us are above that. And he goes on. So it's not just that. He goes on and he says, don't be haughty, don't be prideful, don't, or, or live in harmony with one another, but don't be haughty. This is that, this high-mindedness. Now, you got to understand that Rome was a very wealthy city. And so in like most public things like the church and everything else, you had people that were very wealthy and you had people who were very poor. And so he says, don't think more highly than you ought to sell. And he, and he even says, he goes on, he says, associate with the lowly. And so it, in, in, in Paul's specific instance, he's saying, listen, if you've got a lot of money and you have none, like we're one body, we are one people, we're united in one savior. There's nothing that separates. All these things that culture says should divide you, you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're poor, you're rich, you're this, you're that. All these things that ought to divide us, that culture and society says ought to divide the church, there should be no division because what unites us is greater than the things that culture says should divide us. So he says, I want, don't be haughty, don't be high-minded, don't be above anybody else. It also carries this idea that there's nothing too low for us to do. If a toilet needs to be plunged, I go find a plunger and I plunge that toilet and I do it with a smile on my face, right? Like, so I'm not high-minded. I'm not, I'm not above anything. Like, we do the things that need to be done. And so he says, don't be high, haughty, but, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes, on your own sight. Again, that's this idea of, 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 of this, this high-mindedness. Repay no one evil for evil. We talked about that with the, the persecution thing. So repayment is not our job. It goes on and he says, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't repay evil for evil, but look what he says. But give thought to what is honorable. Now I want you to think, give thought to what's honorable in the sight of all people. Now I want you to think about this idea. Give thought Give thought. There's this idea of preparation to think ahead. We, we've made this comment before, and I'll, I'll make it again. Righteousness is not something that we fall into by accident. You, you understand what I mean by that? Like, I, I don't, I'm not walking along, oh, I just trip into righteousness, and all of a sudden I'm righteous. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm living according to God's word. That takes effort and discipline. Like I can fall into sin. I can trip and fall into sin. I'm not gonna trip and fall into righteousness. And so if I'm gonna do what is honorable in the sight of all people, I have to plan ahead. I have to be thinking about what it looks like to be honorable. What actions are honorable? What transformation does God need to do in my heart in order to be honorable? Because my natural tendency is that I have a very short fuse. And so it's, it's very easy for me. And I got to watch this in the, in the car, especially with the kids. Because 
Cool. So I'm driving the other day, right? This was the tail, the telltale sign. I'm driving the other day, and someone gets really close to the car, and it's on mine and Eric's side. And I hear Eric go, "What you doing, man?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he's heard that from somebody. I probably need to do something about that, right?" But I don't think about that. My natural response is to say something out loud in the car. They can't hear me. And you may be like that. You may not be like that. But here's something else. How many times has someone done something to us and we've said something under our breath? You know what I mean? Or someone asks us to do something. We're like, oh, yeah, Zach, man, I would love to do that for you. And you walk in like you're just you're fuming over it. But that is this internal, external thing. Not just saying, oh, I'm gonna honor Zach by smiling at him and saying, yeah, man, I love to come. And then behind, I'm like, oh, I wish. You know, it's this internal, external thing. And so he's saying, you know, and, and he said, so, so, let's, so, so what's he say there? Let's, let's look at that again. He says, give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And so we think about this. As we read God's word, it transforms us. We're eventually, eventually, not right away always, but eventually that becomes a second nature thing to us. That no longer is my response in the flesh when somebody mistreats me or wrongs me. But all of a sudden now, even in the wrongdoing, um, I, w- I was in the presence of somebody yesterday that, uh, that, some things were going on and, and he got a nasty phone call. And I could tell it was nasty the minute, not two minutes into the conversation, I could tell it was just a nasty phone call. And so I only got to hear one side of it, but I knew in the, the tone of the man's voice and the actions that he was taking. And you know, I had a lot of respect for this guy before this instance but I had a lot more for him afterward and how he responded to this, to this person who had called him and some of the things that were not right and, and, and she was saying things that weren't right and making accusations that weren't right. And his, and his response was this. He said, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And I thought, you know, if that would have been me, I probably would have let that person have it. And, just, and I'm just being just gut level honest. I, I probably would have just let them have it. They were wrong in what they did. They were wrong in what they said. They were wrong in the attitude in which they were saying it. They were wrong on all kinds of levels. And, and, and they were hurt too. I mean, there were some hurt there, some situations going on. So I'm not gonna say, but the way that was wrong. And guys, that's, that's the heart of what he's trying to communicate to us. That culture will tell us that there is a way for us to operate, that there is a way for us, you know, that, that when someone says something, we need to put them in their place, that we need to make sure they understand. But there are times when our response is, is just humility. There's times when our response ought to be countercultural. That is what Jesus came and he taught us. And he says, listen, these things, I'm not telling you the way the world operates. I'm telling you the way I want you, my followers, Christians, my children, those redeemed and saved and altogether different than the world. I want you to look this way. And it's not gonna look like them, but I want you to look like this. 
And then he spells it out for us. And that's what we have to understand. That's what we have to get. We could go on and read and he says, vengeance, you know, beloved, not avenge yourselves, but leave it to God for it's written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay the Lord to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some. These are not natural things to do. You don't give your enemy food. You don't give them something to drink. You let them suffer. Now, if we're being honest, if we have suffered at their hand, there's a side of us that by the flesh, we want them to suffer too. And he's saying, I don't want you to see them suffer. I want you to bless them. Why? Because by doing so, you're gonna be heaping coals on their head. Now, I do not get this illustration at all. All I know is this that the way that they treat you is not good, but the purpose and the heaping of the coals is that you treat them in such a way that all of a sudden they come under A, conviction or, or guilt or B, shame at what they've done to you and that your actions lead them to repentance, to salvation. That you act in such a way, they have treated you like dirt and garbage and mistreated you, but you respond in such a way that they feel guilt or shame at the way they've treated you and they come and ask forgiveness or they repent and maybe even to a bigger degree that they become saved because they see how well you handled yourself. Now this is not saying you need to become a doormat and let people walk all over you. There are times and places when God leads the response, but that's the crucial thing. How is God leading us to respond in each and every situation? We were praying this morning before church. And I said, I, with the band, and we've started getting together and just having just a, a couple of minutes of prayer before the service begins. I said, God, would you just give us the freedom and, and the ability to be so tapped into you that you would just lead us wherever you want this thing to go this morning? And guys, if we had to boil all this down, all this down, it boils down to a relationship with Jesus. That's what it boils down to. Not a, a list of check marks that I came to church on Sunday, I did my job, that I was kind to somebody, check, that I loved somebody, check. But it is a relationship with God and through that relationship with him, he transforms us and, 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 and draws us near to him that we are able to respond in any and every, now we're not gonna be perfect in this. We're not gonna be perfect in this, but what's gonna happen is we're gonna operate in a way, in the way that God wants us to operate. So when there's moments that we need to stand up for ourselves and stand up for what's right, we have the courage and the wisdom to do just that. When there's times that we need to, to, to let things happen and we step back and say, Say, Lord, you tell me I'm not to repay evil for evil, but I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to feed my enemy and, and give water to my enemy and be kind to my enemy. God, I pray that you would help me in this moment to operate in such a way, to respond in such a way that ultimately it would lead them to a relationship with you. And you know what, guys? I, let's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And this isn't for just those that we encounter outside the church. Oftentimes, there are times that mistreatment occurs within the church. Maybe not intentionally, but it does happen. And if we're going back to what Jesus says, I want you to treat other people 
as you want to be, as, as you would have them to treat you. We go back to that. I'm, I am prone to failure. I'm prone to mistakes. And I'm going to make mistakes. And, and you probably will too. And we look at this and we say, how would I wanna be treated if I, if I made a mistake? If in a moment of, of a lack of self-control that I, I flew off the handle or I said something that I, I could not take back. Like if you did that to me, you would want grace extended to you. And if I did that to you, I would want grace extended to me. So we extend grace to one another. And, and we, do whatever's, we do whatever it takes to live peaceably with all. And when that, what that means is it means this, that, if there, that we do everything we can to have peace with one another. If there cannot be peace, it is not my fault. I'm doing everything that I can do. I'm doing everything that I can do. Not, I've done this, now it's their turn to reciprocate. If they do something for me, then I'll go back and do something else for them. It is simply, I'm doing all I can to live peaceably with all. And you know what? Again, this whole imagery here of us living this type of life that people see and they say, you know what? That is altogether different than what the world and culture and society is telling me how I ought to operate. And you know what the strange thing is? They have a happiness that's much deeper than, even when bad things happen, like there's still a, a, there's still a joyful, there, there's something about them that I cannot comprehend. And they're gonna watch as you walk through the same difficulties in life that they have walked through. And you handle it in a much different way. But, this is, but, the way, but that way of handling it is not something that you and I can do on our own. We have got to understand that we are frail. We are frail people. And these things that God calls us to are only possible through a relationship with him. When we plug in our cord to hit to the outlet of his power, and we're connected to him, does it give us the opportunity? Like all these things, all these things sound really good. You're like, man, I would love to live that way. I would love to live in that freedom and to be tapped into the Lord all the time. But like many things, sometimes we just don't wanna do the work it takes to get to have that relationship, to have that type of relationship. So I wanna encourage you this morning, man. If you're here today, the first thing, the base level thing that we've got to do, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the first thing that you need. Like there's nothing else. It's not let me get my life right and then come to Jesus. It's not let me do these things and then come to Jesus. Just come to him. You come to him just as you are and let him help you get these things right that you think you need to get right. You come to him, let him help. He'll lead you, he'll guide you. Let us, you're, you know, you come to faith in Christ. You're now our brother and sister in Christ. Let us help you with that as well. You've got help. It's not on you. Come to Jesus. Maybe we're here this morning and maybe at some point, like we've, we've made, said a prayer. Maybe at some point we've, 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 you know, we've got that relationship, but man, we just admit like that relationship, like it's drifted. We had a lady say Wednesday night, she said, you know, I got away from the Lord and one day I woke up and she's like, how in the world did I get this far away? And you know, sometimes when you get far away, it's hard to, to really come back. And this morning, God's saying, you're never too far gone to come back. You can come back. 
Some of you are saying, well, let me get some things right before I come back. Quit saying, let me, me, me do this, and then I, I, I. It's Jesus. You come back to him, let him take care of it. And you do what he calls you to do, and you do your thing, and let God do his thing, and watch how much better it's gonna work out, because I will mess things up. I mess up my own life. I need Jesus, so don't wait. Maybe you're here this morning, man, maybe it's just like, you know what, I just want, I just, you're, you're, maybe today by some miracle, like you're energized and you say, you know what, I want to live the life that God wants me to live and, and like that, and you know, I'm not really, you know, you know, things are good, but I just, I just want so bad to live a life that leads other people to Jesus. Maybe you come for that and just say, Lord, would you just help me? Would you just help me? But our musicians are going to come. We're going to pray. We're going to open up these altars if you'd like to come. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you.